I love this time of year. Uh, when Rochelle, the kids, and I were out in California over Thanksgiving uh, just the, the week before, I have to admit that whenever we drove anywhere, we had Christmas music playing in the car. Um, I usually don't like to play Christmas music before Thanksgiving, but it was, we were on vacation, so I figured, why not? We could, we could do it a little bit early. Um, you know, in the next few weeks, we are going to be surrounded by the fullness of the Christmas season with all of its lights and songs and shopping and, of course, Hallmark Christmas movies that are all around us. Um, but as much as, as I love this time of year and even just looking around our sanctuary, seeing just uh, the beautiful decorations here, I have to also acknowledge that in the history of the church, historically, um, these weeks leading up to Christmas have actually had a very different focus. The, that, that this season, as I mentioned earlier, is actually called Advent, not Christmas. Uh, the season of Christmas actually starts on December 25th and goes for the 12 days leading up to January 6th, at where, which is Epiphany. And so this, this season actually traditionally in the church year has not been a, a season necessarily of celebrating quite yet. That comes when we get to Christmas. But actually this season, the characteristic of it, of Advent, is one of waiting, of waiting and watching. Uh, now actually in our broader culture, uh, even the celebration of Christmas does have an element of waiting, especially for uh, kids. There is a great anticipation of waiting for Christmas because they want to open their presents, right? They want to get to that Christmas Eve or Christmas Day uh, to do that. But the waiting of Advent is something very different. Um, I mentioned when I opened our service this morning that the word Advent comes from a Latin word that means coming. And although we often focus uh, on on waiting to celebrate the first coming of Jesus at Christmas, one of the original intentions of Advent, the season of Advent, which has a, a, an ancient history, was actually waiting for Christ's second coming. That actually the, the focus of Advent was not as much about Christmas and about Jesus' first coming, but was about this longing and waiting and expectation for Christ's return. And actually our text that we're going to be looking at today focuses on that. Um, there, some of you might, might know that, that many church denominations um, use a common set of scripture texts that are assigned every week uh, to, to every Sunday throughout the year. Uh, these texts are, are called the lectionary. And during my time here at 59th Street Church, I haven't typically preached on the lectionary texts, the texts that are kind of assigned on a given Sunday. I usually like to preach through sermon series on a particular book of the Bible or on, on a topic or a theme. But I thought for this season of Advent, this year, that I'd like to preach on the lectionary texts for Advent because I, help, I hope that it will give us a, a perspective of what Advent is really about, even as we are waiting for, for Christmas. But, 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 and so I, I want to warn you that today's gospel text that's assigned for this first Sunday in Advent in the lectionary is not going to sound very Christmassy. There's no baby Jesus or Bethlehem, um, but my hope is that when we read this passage, it'll actually give us new eyes and a new perspective as we move into Advent, and actually that it will give us a perspective as we also look forward to celebrating Jesus' birth at Christmas. So my sermon title today is Preparing for His Coming. 
We're going to look at what this passage today says about preparing for Jesus' second coming, but also how that might help us in our preparation to celebrate Jesus' first coming at Christmas as well. So our text today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, and we'll be reading verses 25 through 36. And you can find uh, those verses in your Bibles, or we'll have them up on the screens here. So Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So he told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us expectant, waiting, watchful hearts during this season of Advent. And as we look into your word that we've just heard read that as you unpack it for us, Lord, that, that you would work that in us, Lord, to prepare during the season of Advent, to prepare for your coming, your first and your second coming. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the text that I just read, and, and hopefully as you heard it, you understood a little bit what I was saying, right? This isn't a typical kind of text that we would normally think of in connection with, with leading up to Christmas. Uh, but this text that I just read, it, it's, it's actually from a selection um, of a longer discourse that Jesus gives in this chapter in the book of Luke. Um, the context for this, this discourse was that Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And, uh, and there's actually, this was just the, the very next chapter in Luke, we read about the Last Supper. So Jesus is on his way to the cross. And he has this, this, this is kind of his last statement that we see in Luke's gospel before he goes to have his last supper with his disciples. But as they're walking around Jerusalem, some of the disciples are remarking at how beautiful the temple was. Uh, they're passing by the temple or maybe in the temple courts and they, they see and they remark at how beautiful the temple is. And Jesus tells them that there's a time coming when that temple will be destroyed. And so the disciples ask him, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? And so it's this question, when is this going to happen, Jesus? This temple is going to be destroyed? That prompts Jesus to give this discourse um, about the events that will lead to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus' predictions 
in this chapter are fulfilled. They happen, actually, in 70 AD when Rome destroyed the temple. But at the end of this discourse, when Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple, near the end, in the, in the verses that we read, he goes beyond talking about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD to talk about something much further in the future. Uh, what he describes in verse 27 as the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That, that, that phrase, the Son of Man, um, is a, a statement that, that Jesus used to talk about himself. And, and from some similar passages in the New Testament, we know that, that here Jesus is referring to his, his return, his second coming, his visible return to the earth in power and glory when he will bring an end to history as we know it and, and usher in the kingdom of God in all of its fullness. And so the first thing that I want to look at in this passage, and the first thing that Jesus actually brings up in these verses, is signs of his coming. Signs that point ahead to his coming. In verses 25 and 26, he says, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Uh, much of what Jesus says in these verses are, are actually um, found in passages in the Old Testament that speak of the day of the Lord. We see many similar themes in, in a lot of the prophetic books, uh, talking about signs in the heavens and distress and confusion among the nations, roaring of the seas, anxiety and fear among the people. Um, earlier in this chapter, Jesus also talks about wars and uprisings, earthquakes, famines, pestilences, um, as other signs that will precede the end. Over the past uh, 2,000 years, many people have, have tried to predict the timing of Christ's return by looking at these various signs that are mentioned here and other passages in, uh, in the Old and New Testaments and, and trying to kind of decode them and and, and, and pin them to particular historical events, and maybe this is the, the famine that he's talking about, or this is the, the war. And time and time again, those predictions have been wrong, <laughs> uh, that have been made about when Christ will come. Um, the reality is that, that these signs that Jesus talks about, uh, signs that the Bible refers to, they're actually characteristics that have been true at various points over the past 2,000 years. Uh, wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilences, the roaring of, of the sea and, and hurricanes and typhoons, nations being distressed, comets and other signs in the heavens, fear and anxiety among people. When you, look, when you hear that list of things, are those things happening in our world today? Yeah, right? They're very, they're, those are, are all things that are, that are happening around us. They're also things that have happened in other decades and, and other centuries and so the question is, could, could these signs that we see around us, right, we, we see some of these things, could they be signs that, that Christ's return might be soon? Yes, definitely. Could Christ's return also be a ways off in the future still? Yeah, it could. <laughs> we don't know. Um, Jesus himself said in Mark 13, 32, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So unfortunately, these signs, 
they're not really given to us as, as ways to, as, as sort of a secret code that we're supposed to decipher in order to predict exactly when Christ is going to return. That's not the intention of these signs. So, so why did Jesus give these signs? Why did he talk about things that, that would precede the end? Why did he want, what did, what did he want his disciples to do when they looked around in their world and they saw some of these things happening? What, is, what does he want us to do as we look around at our world and we see some of these, these signs in our world? Well, the main thrust of Jesus' teaching in this passage is to call his disciples and us to prepare for his second coming, regardless of when that will be, but to be prepared for the fact that it could happen at any moment. Uh, These signs are meant to nurture an attitude of preparation and expectancy of of watching and waiting. And so I want to look at what Jesus says in this passage about how to prepare for his coming. As we, as we think about the fact that Christ will return and he could return at any moment, how are we to prepare for this? Well, the first thing that he says is don't get distracted. Uh, we see this in verse 34 when he says, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. You know, the fact that, that it has been 2,000 years since Jesus first talked about his second coming can lead to a dangerous attitude that of, of sort of complacency of, you know, well, he hasn't returned for 2,000 years, and so he's probably not going to return in our lifetime either. And, and this can lead to a, a complacency and where we can begin to get distracted. We no longer are thinking about the fact that Christ is returning, um, this, this, Jesus points out some of these dangers here. He talks about the danger of dissipation, which refers to recklessness and debauchery. He talks about drunkenness. He talks about becoming consumed by the anxieties of life. And so, in other words, there is, there's a danger in our world of becoming wrapped up in all the things of our world. Where, where the idea of Christ's return and eternity feels so distant that we begin to get consumed by things happening just in our everyday lives and in the world. Um, and that can, be, that can happen in these different ways that Jesus talks about. It might happen as we get, we're, we're seeking after pleasures in this world in reckless kind of ways or, or just becoming overwhelmed by stress and anxiety in our lives where we get so wrapped up in just our worries about things that are happening And when Jesus mentions drunkenness, the reality is that sometimes those anxieties can actually lead to dealing with those anxieties by by turning to to drinking or self-medicating or trying to to avoid some of the the pain or or anxiety that we're feeling. And so all these things, they can distract us from what really matters, our spiritual lives, our relationship with God, the fact that Christ is coming again that he could come at any moment. Now, sadly, this this can actually happen, especially during this time of year. During this time of year that we are are thinking about Christ's first coming as we're preparing for Christmas. Um, For for a lot of people, the holidays can be an incredible source of the anxieties of life, right? 
We, get, we can get very anxious and, and, and busy during this time of year. Um, there are presents to buy and parties to plan and dinners to prepare. And, and for some people, being around family during this time can be very stressful and anxious. You know, I know that that happens for, for a lot of people. For other people, the holidays can, can be a time where, we, where, where all of a sudden we remember people who are no longer with us, and that can cause um, depression or, or, or anxiety. Um, a recent study looked at Google search trends and found that, that these phrases, stress relief, psychological stress, anxiety disorder, um, and other sort of similar phrases, trended upward in Google among Americans near the end of November and peaked in the middle of December. The people are searching about stress and anxiety and because that's, that's what our, our, our society is like during this time of year often. And these stresses, they can lead to abusing alcohol or, or becoming reckless in other ways or looking to, to self-medicate in different ways. And the reality is it's easy to become distracted in this season, isn't it? It's easy to, to, to get overwhelmed. And, and when we're thinking about all these logistics and these details, that all of a sudden we actually lose focus on the one whose birth we're celebrating. Jesus warns that those who get distracted and wrapped up in anxiety, drunkenness, and other things, he says the day of Christ's return may close on you unexpectedly like a trap. Throughout the Bible, the day of the Lord, the day of Christ's return, it is associated with judgment. And so for those who are distracted and, and unprepared for this day, this day could mean trouble. And so one way to prepare for Christ's coming is to not get distracted in these ways. But what should we do instead? So we're not supposed to get distracted by all these other things. What should we do? Well, Jesus, the next thing that he says of how to prepare for his coming is to watch and pray. We see this in verse 36. He says, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Watch and pray. The verb that's translated watch in this verse means to stay awake and to be intent and focused on something. Uh, the verb that's translated pray here is actually not the normal Greek word for prayer, but it actually has a more urgent sense of beseeching, urgently requesting, even to beg. Jesus says that, that we're to prepare by, by having this intense watchfulness, being prepared, staying awake, and having this urgent pleading to God for strength in the midst of that. At my previous church in Fullerton, California, there was an older retired pastor who served as a visitation pastor. Um, his name was, was Henry. And, and Pastor Henry, he really embodied this spirit of watchful prayer. Um, when I think, think about him, um, he had this deep longing in his life for Christ to return during his lifetime. He desperately wanted to be there when Christ would return. And he, and he, he prayed regularly for Christ to come soon. And, and, he, and he had this expectant waiting 
about him in his life. Um, every Sunday, he would be the one that would pray for our offering in our worship service. And, and the prayers that he would pray um, on those Sundays was, was, were filled with this longing to experience more of Jesus and to taste his grace more fully, to know him more deeply. Pastor Henry uh, passed away while I was serving at, at that church in California, so he didn't get to live to see Christ return. But when he died, I know that he got to see his Savior face to face. And, and as Jesus talks about here, that, that he was able to stand before the Son of Man. Why was he able to stand before his Savior? Because he was ready. He was watching. He was waiting. He wasn't distracted. He had that expectation and hope waiting for his Savior. What would it look like for this season of Advent, this year, in 2018, in your life, in my life, to be characterized by watching and praying rather than being distracted and anxious. Well, for that to happen, it'll take intentionality. And it'll probably mean saying no to some things. It'll mean slowing down and pausing and reflecting. It'll mean inviting God into the various activities and events of the season. I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't go to, to dinners and parties and, and those kinds of things, but, but what would it look like to invite God into those things where he becomes the center rather than sort of the, the, the one on the side in, in the midst of all the busyness? What if we were to ask God actually to even reshape some of these events and some of these things in our lives that would give us a spirit of waiting and watching? Well, there's one other way that we, that we see in this text of how to prepare for Christ's second coming, which actually points back to his first coming, and that is to trust in his redemption. When Jesus talks about these tumultuous signs pointing to his second coming, the roaring of the sea and nations in anguish and heavenly bodies being shaken and people fainting from terror, then he says in verse 28... When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads. Don't cower in fear. Don't run and hide. No, stand up. Lift up your heads with confidence. Now, why would anyone respond to, to these chaotic and, and, and crazy you know, events that Jesus describes in those earlier verses by standing up and lifting up their heads? Well, the rest of verse 28 continues, because your redemption is drawing near. See, Jesus says that all these signs, they're pointing to the fact that our redemption is drawing near. Because Christ's second coming will bring about the fulfillment of that redemption. It's a redemption that, that, that was secured in Christ's first coming, and it will be completed in his second coming. So for those of us who, who trust in Jesus Christ as our Redeemer, as our Savior, we don't need to fear his second coming coming on us like a trap. We don't need to fear judgment or condemnation. For believers in Christ, his coming means 
finally experiencing the fullness of our redemption, of being completely free from sin, being free from suffering. Jesus puts it another way in verse 31 when he says, even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God, when God will finally reign as king in all of his fullness. So this is how we prepare for Christ's second coming, trusting in his redemption that's coming, that's near, waiting expectantly for his kingdom to come. How do we do that? How do, well, a great way to trust in his redemption and to, to build the sense of anticipation and expectation is to hear again how he's redeemed us. So I want you to just listen for a moment as I talk about Christ's redemption for you and for me. And I want to, as, as, I, as, I, as I, I read this and, and say this, I, I want to encourage you to, to take it in and, and think about this is what Christ has done. And this is what we're waiting for. And this is, this is the, the heart of this season. We're called to remember how God the Father loved us enough to send his only son into our world. That God, the eternal one, took on flesh as a tiny, helpless baby in Bethlehem. And that baby grew up to be a man who lived a perfectly obedient life. A life that none of us are able to live. See, Jesus, he never got distracted. He never got weighed down by the anxieties of life. He was watching and praying perfectly through his life. And he did all that because he knows that we can't do it perfectly. He did it for us so that we would be credited with his perfection. We who get distracted so easily. We who, who get so anxious all the time. We who don't watch and pray perfectly. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our failures, our disobedience, our anxieties, our sin, and he paid for them in full with his life. And on the third day, he rose to new life, conquering death itself, showing that he had accomplished our redemption. And he did it. And so now, you and I can be forgiven, declared righteous, given eternal life, welcomed into the kingdom of God. And so we can stand before the Son of Man confidently, on that day, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what the Son of Man did for us. So when we see the Son of Man coming with a cloud, with great power and glory, we won't need to fear him. When we see his face, it's the face of our Savior. It's the face of our Redeemer coming to bring about the fullness of our redemption. 
We're going to welcome that day with great joy. Our full redemption drawing near. The kingdom of God finally coming in its fullness. This morning we have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper or communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 26, the Apostle Paul says this about the Lord's Supper. He says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Part of what we do in communion is prepare for Christ's second coming. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is something that we do regularly as a way to anticipate our Lord's second coming. In communion, we step away from the things that can so easily distract us in this world. Our anxieties, the temptations that we have to live recklessly. And instead, we are invited in communion to watch and to pray, to trust in Christ's redemption. In communion, we hear the story of that redemption again with our ears, and we even get to taste it with our mouths. So as we enter into the season of Advent, into the season of watching and waiting and praying, I want to invite you today to receive this moment that we're going to go into in just a little bit as a gift from God, as an invitation to begin this season Not by rushing or hurrying, being anxious, but resting in what Christ has done for you and waiting. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In just a moment, we're going to get to hear those eternal words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and that he speaks to us. And in response, we get to stand up and lift up our heads. Even in the midst of a world that sometimes feels like it's just gone crazy. Even in the midst of our own lives that that can sometimes feel so chaotic. But Jesus says, stand up, lift up your heads, for your redemption is drawing near. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that So often our lives are filled with with anxiety and and chaos and stress and anxiety. And and Lord, it's so easy for you to to just get lost in the midst of all of that, Lord. That we take our eyes off of you and and we get so fixated on on these things in our, our everyday lives. We thank you, God, for Advent, for this season where you call us to bring those anxieties to you, to bring these things and and to wait and to long for your coming and to watch expectantly and to remember that our redemption is drawing near. And so, Lord, I pray that that even during this time as we we sing a a hymn of response and as we move into communion, God, that, that you'd remove those distractions, those things that can so easily get so, uh, so caught up, Lord, the things that, that are even right now running into our minds about what we need to do today or tomorrow or next week, and that you remove those things that we'd be able to pause, to sit at your feet, 
to hear your words, your words that will never pass away. Lord, this life, these things, they're, they're temporary. They will pass away. But your word, your reality, your salvation, your redemption will never pass away. So help us to cling to that this season, God, to who you are, to what you have done for us. That you'd give us expectant hearts to prepare for your second coming, even as we remember what you've done for us in your first coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.